Hi, it's Misha. You're listening to Tell Them I Am. This is the last episode of season two. My name is Anusha Ansari. Uh, I identify myself, usually I just want to say I'm an earthling, but uh, I'm probably best known for going to International Space Station as the first female private space explorer. I was born in Mashhad, which is the second largest city in Iran. And then about maybe when I was four years old, we moved to Tehran, which is a capital city. It was very close to a dormant um, volcano called Mount Damovant. And I always thought about, it wasn't fully dormant, so I always thought what happens if the volcano erupts. But it made the beautiful background looking out the window. And, and you know, I always remembered sort of not many cities, metropolitan cities are near a volcano. So my parents got divorced when uh, I was young. I was probably around five, six years old. My younger sister was just born and it was difficult. It was a lot of conflict and fights and people being upset and crying. So a lot of sadness. So this concept that my parents were getting a divorce was, you know, of course, heartbreaking for a child, but uh it also brought me closer to my grandparents and I spent a lot of time at their place. Sometimes I would just sleep there. And especially summer nights, I loved that they were on the third floor of an apartment building and uh, they had a big balcony, no air conditioning. So we would sleep outside on the balcony. When the sun would start setting, we would water the balcony so it would be cool and nice and we will pull out the cots and and I would go out before anyone else would go to bed. That's the only time I volunteered to go to bed early. <laughs> the sheets were white sheets. I remember they felt cool and fresh, so it was nice to just be in bed and, and just I would lay on my back and put my arms behind my head and just look up at the night skies. It was during those very long periods that I could just gaze at the stars that I felt this love of, you know, going to space, being out there, trying to figure out why am I here on earth with everything going around me, all the uh, pain and and, uh, fighting and anger I was seeing and feeling, I was trying to think, why would, you know, why why was I put in this situation, you know? And maybe there's a purpose to it and maybe something is out there that understands it and maybe there are all these other worlds out there. And it was sort of this playground for my imagination. The first thing they teach you when you start studying astronomy is like, this is what we know right now. This is the most imperfect science that you can study because we're still in the very early stages of understanding our universe. And the only way to know it is to study it, to experience it, to be there, be part of it. And I'm so happy that I got to actually go to space. 
Will you take me to the day that you um, were going to space? Yeah, I, I remember in the morning, the flight doctor, flight surgeon uh, came to the room. We were supposed to stay in bed so they could take our resting vitals. And uh, he brought me a white rose. He was always very kind to me. So he came, took the vitals and... I was so calm. I mean, my vitals were probably the lowest they've ever been. Throughout that whole day, I was just ready and felt nothing but joy, pure joy. We were supposed to get a full wipe down with alcohol. So someone came to the room with a bowl of alcohol and, and some cottons and just basically it cleans you completely. It reminded me in Islam when someone dies, they really wash them and clean them and they wrap him into in a special cloth. So it, I felt like, you know, I'm being completely washed until <laughs> I'll be clean and ready to go to heaven. So we put on our suits. They tested the suits to make sure everything works. And um, we then got ready to leave the compound and go to the rocket. When we got to the launch pad, we uh, stood for a few pictures and then we were taken up this little tiny elevator to the top of the rocket where the capsule sits. And then we one by one went in and strapped in and they made sure that everything's ready and then they closed the door to the capsule. And I felt like, you know, this is what I've been meant to do and it's my purpose. And as long as I'm doing that, I wasn't worried about even, you know, losing my life in the process because I felt like I've done, I'm doing what I want to do. The only thing I kept thinking is like, if I'm supposed to blow up, I hope I blow up after I'm in space. I just wanted to make sure I make it to space and I feel weightless. And then if I blew up, I blew up, you know. We had our headsets on. So they started playing some classical music. We were all just, you know, had a moment to ourselves before the uh, countdown would start. I remember thinking that, how did I end up here? What happened? I started remembering myself. It was like this quick flash through my life as a child in Iran and on the balcony, looking at the night skies, migrating to U.S., all the difficulties, getting here, going to school, learning a new language, getting married, and making it through, being switched to the primary group was like the most unlikely story. If, if someone told me the story, I wouldn't believe it. They started counting down from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Liftoff of the Soyuz rocket transporting Mike Lopez Alegria, Mikhail Turin, and Anushe Ansari to their microgravity home in space.
you're just going so fast. There was so much noise and, and vibration. And then we were in orbit and after they made all the proper checks, we were able to open our harnesses and for the first time I lifted up to the porthole next to me and I could see the first thing I saw was Earth from space. I didn't expect the emotional reaction I had. It was so beautiful and more than anything else, I felt this energy of life, this warmth, something that was, it's hard to put to words. I, I, I don't know, but it was just like, I couldn't get my eyes off of it. I was just looking at our beautiful, colorful planet and tears started rolling down my face and because we were in microgravity, one of them started, uh, you know, just floating in front of me. That made me laugh. And then after that, it was a mixture of crying and laughing. And, and it was just like I was taking it all in. And, you know, we were, we were at only 250 miles above Earth. So you can't see the entire Earth from that angle but you still see a good portion with the curvature and the background as the sun is reflecting off of the surface the background of the space is black completely black but that's when you actually see the stars I described it to someone as like someone threw diamond dust on a black velvet blanket it was incredible and it feels like you know how in a theater you have people standing and the spotlight goes from one person to the other and then when the spotlight is on one person you don't see the others and it moves around it was this play of you know light and darkness and it goes from focusing on my home planet earth to the universe it made me understand that all part of one play. They're not one or the other. It's all one. When you're in space, you can't delineate countries and nations from each other. It's all about colors and water versus land and clouds and, and that very thin blue glow that surrounds our planet that makes it feel like it's alive. For whatever reason, since I was a kid, I never liked sleeping. My parents did not want me to stay up that late or my grandparents for that matter. And they would keep telling me, you're falling asleep. We can see you. you're falling asleep. Go to bed. I did the same thing on the space station. The whole time I didn't want to sleep. I didn't want to lose any moment. Every night I would put my sleeping bag next to the window and I was playing my favorite music and 
making up stories about what was going on on Earth. Uh, as you know, I remember one night there was there were storms and I was listening to cannons and it was like sort of like someone had orchestrated the music and the lightning together. I was enjoying it and then for a second it sort of clicked that I'm enjoying it up there. Imagine if I was actually in the streets, in traffic, trying to get home and there was a storm going on and cars weren't moving and there's an accident on the highway. And I bet that would not feel as good as it's feeling now, watching it all from up here like a lightning show. When it came down to the last day I was up there, I was very sad. I had, uh, you know, experienced sort of ecstasy, <laughs> if you would. I felt a sense of freedom that I had never experienced in my life. And uh, it, I didn't want to come back. I felt I, I at home. Returning to Earth is the most dangerous part of the trip. The first part of the orbiting is very slow until you get to um, enter the atmosphere. At that time, things start changing. It's like, it's the climax of the movie now. And uh, so we were going really fast and the plasma outside, you could see sort of, it was like fire outside the window. So we're like a ball of fire going through the atmosphere. It was getting really hot inside the capsule. And when the first parachute opened, it just, it was, everything was rattling around and, you know, it was a very jarring experience. Finally, you land on the ground and... Uh, so the rescue crew came and after waiting for us to cool down a little bit for the fire to go out, they opened the capsule's hatch. This fresh air came inside the cap, which felt so good. It was very early in the morning. It was very cool and we were so hot. And, and after 11 days of stale air, recycled air, just fresh air felt so good. One by one, they pulled us out. I was upside down, so they had to cut my belt to get me out, pull me out. And you don't realize how um, your body adapts so quickly. So, you know, my body had totally adjusted living in microgravity. And I felt like I was wearing a lead suit over my body and I was sinking to the ground. So we just laid there for a moment and um, the sun was rising so I could see this orange glows and feeling a little bit of the warmth of the sun on my face with the breeze. And I remember I was like, I was happy that I was home and I was safe, but I was also so depressed. I was lost. I was thinking that what's next? What do I do now? How can I go back to living an ordinary life now? After all I've experienced, I just, the thought of just living my life like I did before was just, 
not interesting to me. I was always looking forward to space. Now what do I look forward to? There was a blog post that that you wrote during that time. Do you have it in front of you? In reality, I was happy to be back and to see my family, but I had left my heart on the station. <laughs> I kept... I kept trying to close my eyes again and to pretend that I was back up there. <laughs> I didn't remember this. Sorry. I kept trying to close my eyes again and pretended that I was back up there, where it was safe, where it was free. But I kept getting interrupted by the reporters and photographers. I didn't want to forget that peaceful image. And I was afraid if I don't try to capture it in my memory now, that it would be gone forever. But I kept getting interrupted. Um, well, I guess I did capture it because I was back there right now and just describing it to you going through it sorry that sort of brought back a lot of really good memories that I miss <laughs> it's true when I say the safety and the freedom I felt up there I have never experienced all the struggles of the world and the craziness of the world and and the wars and the heart-wrenching pain that some people go through, everything, all of that just disappeared. When I was in space, I was detached from all that and I only could see the beauty of our planet, the beauty of our world. Is there anything like in your life now or on Earth that gives you any semblance of, of that feeling that you had out in space? Um, no. <laughs> I haven't found anything that gives me that feeling except for closing my eyes and dreaming. I'm not a religious person per se, but I'm a spiritual person. I believe in our connectedness. I believe in our oneness. And, and I see this beautiful dance of energy and matter as us as human beings, as plants, as inanimate objects, everything, all being interconnected. And, and I love um, the fact that, you know, we are all made of stardust. All those things that made the stars made us who we are today. And it proves even further how we're all interconnected and, and one. And to me, that's spirituality. And to me, that picture, even though I had sketches of it in my mind, became complete, vivid, colorful when I was up there.
Hey, it's me, Misha, again. Yes, you're hearing me at the end. When does that ever happen? Remember in the first episode this season, I told you about one of my favorite Urdu poems, Hassan Kuzagar? Remember Hassan, the potter, who saw God and started making pots like crazy? And then the fire went out? Well, the story didn't end there. Once the fire goes out, Hassan is grief-stricken. For nine years, he's uninspired, burnt out. He describes himself as a mound of dirt without even a hint of moisture. And his wife is like, Hassan, get it the fuck together. We have a family. Make your pots already. Inspiration is a rich man's game. You have mouths to feed. But Hassan keeps longing, keeps looking for those talisman eyes that he saw on the Tigris River, the eyes that inspired him the first time. Even his old pots are whispering to each other. What happened to him? Where did he go? Hassan wanders in madness for nine years. Until one day, he wanders through a bazaar and past a perfume shop, a place he's never paid attention to before. And he smells this incredible scent. And boom, he's inspired. The reason this poem means so much to me is because I can relate. I told you about making the first season of Tell Them I Am and how that felt like the height of my creativity. But then, after the show was out in the world, I felt burnt out. I had no more fire left in me. I don't come from generational wealth. I didn't have the luxury to wait for inspiration to strike. I had to make more art to survive. That's why I kept longing, longing for the fire that fueled my art before. Like Hassan, I kept expecting that inspiration to come back to me in the exact same way. Then one day, as I walked across the street, I was hit by a car. You didn't see that coming, did you? I know this sounds insane to say. I know, I know. In the moment before the car struck me, I saw the car and I knew it was there for me. Not just that it was gonna hit me, but this was inspiration striking. But it edited my life. The universe was like, you don't need this job. You don't need this relationship. You don't need to take care of your entire family. You don't need to walk even. You need to focus. The universe forced me to stop longing so hard for things to be a certain way and instead just be open. Forced me to trust. So I did. I focused on me and I learned to walk again and I made art again. I mean, here we are. I accepted that God doesn't show up the same way twice. Sometimes he's the talisman eyes on the river. Sometimes he's a scent coming from a perfumery. 
Sometimes he's the view of our planet from outer space. Sometimes he's a car crash. Tell Them I Am is presented by Higher Ground Audio and Spotify and produced by Dustlight Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Misha Youssef. This episode was written by me, Mary Knopf, and Arwen Nix. It was sound designed by Mary Knopf. Additional music in this episode includes Pockle Bell Canon in D by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. Since this is the last episode of the season, I want to take a moment to thank you. Those of you who've been with us since season one, thank you for cheering us on since the beginning. To all of you who listened, thank you for listening to these stories, for sharing with your friends and family, for the kind messages you've sent our way. Thank you to all of our guests who've trusted us with their stories and their emotions and their hearts. We couldn't have made this show without you. Thank you to the team at Higher Ground Audio who believed in this show and fought so hard to bring it back to life. This season would literally not be in the world without you. Thank you to the executive producers, Dan Fearman, Mukta Mohan, and Anna Holmes, and editorial assistant, Janae Maribel, for trusting me and my team with our vision and for pushing us creatively when we needed it. Thank you for fighting for the show no matter what obstacle we faced. Thank you to my family, Mama, Baba, Nuri, Isa, for keeping me sane, for being the biggest champions of my work, for helping me see the beauty in myself and where I come from. I love you guys. And my team at Dustlight, thank you for making poetry with me. I've never experienced a greater feeling in my life than to make this show with all of you. Mary Knopf, our executive producer, my fashionable, no-bullshit friend, you have a Midas touch, and I'm so thankful your fingerprints are all over this show. Thank you for teaching me that you are always, always right. Thank you for killing mine and the whole team's darlings to make the show more beautiful. Thank you for fighting for this baby like it's your own. Thank you for gassing me up when I lost energy or belief. Thank you for leading this beautiful team with grace and poise. I can't imagine making things without you. And I hope I never have to. Arwen Nix, our editor, our creative director, also fashionable. You're the wise elder, way, way older sister I never had. Thank you for turning the writing on this show into magic for reminding me that not every battle is worth fighting, for always picking up the slack and never treating any work like it's beneath you. Thank you for reminding me that sometimes you have to smash a few idols to make a point. Thank you for being in my life and a part of my heart. Ariana Garibli, our producer, I'm so happy you came into my life last year and that you joined this team. I have never met someone who works as tirelessly as you. Not even Arwen. I'm blown away by you. Thank you for all of the blood, sweat, and tears you put into this show. For becoming a leader when we needed you to become one. For putting the story above your ego. 
and for making some of the most tender episodes of this series. This season would not have grown without you, and my life would not be as full. Jonathan Shiflett, our other producer, you joined this team when we were struggling to find the joy in making this show. And fuck, you brought the joy. Thank you for showing us all that this was about having fun and playing. Thank you for getting excited about the tiniest things in every guest story. Thank you for elevating the fuck out of the sound design of this show. Thank you for taking this so seriously and not seriously at all. You made this season and our experience of making it better. I cannot imagine a feelings check without a garden update. I'm so thankful to have you in my life and to make work with you. Valeria Alarcon, our apprentice. You had never had a podcast job before this and you stepped it up, girl. Thank you for reminding us why we do this, for always being down to cry and bring more heart to our process. Thank you for telling all your friends and family in Mexico to listen to the show on repeat while they sleep, even if they can't understand it. Thank you for being willing to learn. You changed every person on this team for the better. Valentina Rivera, our engineer, thank you for your fine tooth comb and for turning our messes into the cleanest, crispest episodes. Thank you for helping build the home studio, for laboring over the perfect mic for my voice, for driving over to my house in the pandemic and sitting in my spider-littered garage to make me sound better. Every episode of this show sounds as good as it does because of you. Emin Ahmed, our illustrator, I love you dearly. Thank you for coming up with your own vision for the art this season and showing me what it would look like to have museums filled with people who look like us. And thank you for reminding me that every work of art is a collaboration between us and God. Elizabeth Goodspeed, thank you for making the tile art for this season, for coming up with the idea of gradients and honoring my cultural lineage even though it's not your own. Thank you for believing in me, in Dustlight, and in this show, and for protecting our shared vision with your excellent design and humor. David Liner, thank you for making stunning music that creates a gentler world for these stories than the one we live in. Special thank you to Joe Paulson, Liz Bieber, Marone Helimescal, Rachel Garcia, Chrissy Marin, Lindsay Ross, Jake Valentine, Patches Studios, Leah Edwards, Danny Sabell, Sarah Gaynor, Yasmin Afifi, Emily Bornstein, and Emma Mead. Executive producers at Spotify are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, and Courtney Holt. This podcast was originally a production of LAS Studios. Studios.